I'm a little jealous of, of Rob. Rob got to preach last week and with no clock. And what is this? There's a clock. <laughs> I don't know. I guess it's just the preacher's prerogative to ignore the clock, right? Right? Oh, okay. No? Man, I thought of, maybe I'd get away. I trust that you're in First Peter because we get to start a new series. Now, I'm going to be watching. Hopefully, you have your Bible. I like Bibles. But I know some of you kind of like Pastor Ralph over there. They have their phones. And it shocks me every time I see Pastor Ralph reading off his phone. And I'm like, it's either that or he has an amazing memory. I don't know. But uh, so I, I like the smell of my books and my Bible. So First Peter chapter 1, as we look into... And I pray that you long and are asking the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's so true. We've got to take off our headphones. And whatever's pumping in those headphones and those cares of life, the things that are maybe got you distressed, uh, like the Mariners or the Seahawks or <laughs> whatever it is that got, has your attention, we have to take those headphones on so we can just listen to the Holy Spirit. I love what Jesus says. You know, he said it all the time. You who have ears, let them hear. And he was proving a point. He's like, just because you have ears doesn't mean you're listening. And so just because we're here doesn't mean that we're listening. It's really easy. And it's easy to, to understand that as a pastor when you have other people preaching and you're sitting in the, the chair and your pew and you sit there and you have to train yourself to listen and not rework the message in your own mind. And so it's really difficult sometimes. And it doesn't matter if you're a pastor, it uh, doesn't matter who you are, you have to choose to listen. And so this morning we get to dive into this new uh, topic and we get to go into First Peter. And I am so privileged. We've been working and reading and studying this and I was reading the first two verses, and I wanted to make like 15 messages, but the elders said no. So no, I'm just joking. <laughs> but there's so much that we take for granted, like just like Rob was saying. We don't realize how much that God has truly given us in his word. The Bible says, in the beginning was, was the word, and the word was God, or the word is God, and Later on, it says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word, the words that we're reading this morning, the words that we read and are reading is the Lord. And it's living, it's active. And so the Lord knows the heart of everyone that's here, and He knows how His message, His words need to be applied to you and to I. And what a privilege it is to open up the living Word of God. And we don't want to take that for granted. One of the things is that, I mean, the basic idea, we're going to look at the introduction, so I'm not going to talk about the whole idea of First Peter yet. But there's a problem is we want to be healthy as a church. And one of the problems is, is we like to throw theology and we like to throw knowledge today in our age under the bus. And there's a great problem with that because without the right understanding of who God is, it's hard to be healthy. You know, the, there's an importance to theology. And the importance is not the knowledge, and that's the problem. 
Theology is simply this, the study of God. It's to know God. It's to to see who he is. And he gave us himself in the written word so we can enjoy him. The problem is, as we get it into our, you know, super thick skulls, I'm glad he made a thick skull because mine would be cracked many times over of all the things I've done to myself. But he, he has to get it through this thick skull that it is about him and it's not about knowing the Bible or being good. It's just about him. And we need to know that. Uh, let's put it this way. How many people order stuff on Amazon? Right? Amazon. Being uh, that I lived in Eureka, California for 16 years, they have a mall, which is uh, most three-quarters of it is empty uh, at any given time. There's really, I don't know why they call it a mall. It's just a store down here and a store down here. That was about it. Everything else changed in the middle, and it never stayed the same, and it never stayed open. So here, you know, so, but in Eureka, it's like we have to use Amazon because we can't get everything we need there. Uh, because we're like three and a half hours from any major city. But you know what happens when you order something on Amazon? You get, so if you've ordered something that needs to be put together, right? You got to be careful when you order it from Amazon because how many times have you ordered something from Amazon? You open up the box and it's in a million pieces and there are no instructions, right? And all the men were like, yes, finally, no instructions. Until you put it together and you're like, I wonder what this is for, right? And you know what I'm talking about. And you go and you do something and all of a sudden, you know, the bike falls apart. Or the handlebars come off. Or, which is, I've had happen when we're riding down the road. It's not a good thing, right? It's a, <laughs> bail off quickly. <laughs> um, but something happens. You go sit on the chair, and it collapses because you didn't put the cross brace together, right? Or you, when you're moving, you stand on the chair that your wife bought, and you bust it, you know? That's not a good thing. Instructions are, you know, I hate to say it, guys, they're actually beneficial. We, gotta, we need those instructions. We don't always know why they're beneficial until later on because we don't have a proper understanding. Standing. And that's what theology is. It's, it's God's way when he gives us his word. It says, help us to have a good understanding of why we need to know God. And how we can get through life and not be so shocked when the rug falls out from under us. Or when the chair doesn't work right. Or the bicycle doesn't work right. Or our marriages are struggling. Or our jobs you know, were laid off. Or where we struggle with work or relationships and Whatever struggle or hardship, knowing God, and not just knowing God, but knowing Him, understanding who He is, and making Him big in your life, it makes those other things smaller, more manageable, more just capable of surviving. It creates a healthy church. We can't just get rid of it. And, and that kind of fits in with the whole idea here of 1 Peter. And as we look at 1 Peter, well, let's discover a few things as we look at the intro in your notes. If you're there, we're going to look at this thing. Who's the author? Well, Peter. Peter is the author. It says in the very first verse, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Okay, so we see it is Peter. Well, is it the apostle Peter? Yeah. 
Is it the disciple, Peter? Yes. Um, you know, why is this important? Is because he walked with Jesus. He sat with Jesus, taught by Jesus. And we know that's important in understanding how do we know that this is really God's word because he was with Jesus. He's an apostle. But I want you to understand, when we look at 1 Peter, we need to understand who the author is. It, first of all, we could always say the theological correctness is, is that the Holy Spirit's the author, right, of 1 Peter? But the human author that God used is Peter and his life. If you want to be amazed by 1 Peter, read the Gospels and underline everything that Peter did in the Gospels. Then go read 1 Peter, and you'll be shocked because they're two different people. Let me give you an idea of this. By the way, did you know that Peter's name is mentioned in the Gospels more than any other person except for Jesus? Did you know that? Peter is used more than any other time except for Jesus. Not only that, but no one speaks in the Gospels as many times as Peter. And, and Jesus spoke more to Peter than any other disciple and individual. All right? Let me give you an idea. Jesus rebukes Peter more than any other disciple. Peter was the only disciple who rebuked Jesus, okay? Peter confessed Jesus more boldly and accurately than any other disciple. Peter denied Jesus more forcefully and publicly than any other disciple. Jesus praised Peter more than any other disciple. Jesus addressed Peter as Satan. There's a shocker. Alone among the disciples. Now, how about that? How would you like that as, you know, moniker? Uh, the only disciple that was called Satan, right? I had a, a lizard once, and we called him Satan. It was because every time you put your hand in the cage, he turned bright red, and he would lunge at you. Not to, like, caress your hand, but to bite it with all its force. And uh, it... We just called him Satan. That's, that's all you need to know. But how would you like that name? Right? When, how about this? In Mark chapter 1, when Jesus spoke, woke up early in the morning to pray before the sun came up, Simon Peter led all the other disciples on a hunt to find Jesus and to tell him what Jesus should do. Mark chapter 1, 35 through 39. You look it up. Peter in Luke chapter 5 Peter put his nets out at the direction of Jesus to bring in a massive catch of fish, right? If you want to be a good fisherman, listen to Jesus, even if it sounds totally wrong, right? Fishermen know what I'm talking about, you know, and uh, using the wrong bait. It'd be like going down to the nooksack with a bunch of roe mixed with a little bit of, uh, the secret is the roe, let it age and get really stinky smelly and put a little bit of shrimp in the middle of your row and then flip it out there. Now, and so you want to make that salmon as mad as possible so he'll bite that thing, right? So it's smell and looks are important. It'd be like saying, grab one of your, you know, saying, hey, if, 
Jesus goes, hey, I want you to grab one of your wife's earrings and go down and throw it in the water and you'll catch a lot of fish. Now, don't do that. I don't want any problems at home. So, but that's, that's what Peter listened to Jesus. That was crazy. Peter went on a unique outreach trip with the other disciples in Matthew 10. Jesus said, go uh, two by two out into the place. You're going to do all these things in my name and to prove who I am and who you are and that you're carrying the word of God. And I want you to, I want you to bring no money, no food, no nothing. Just go do it. Talk about, a, uh, you know, hey, we're going to go on a missions trip next week. I want you to come just with your clothes and your shoes, and, you're not, and you can't bring any money, and we're going to go survive in Africa, right? That's pretty unique. Nobody does that, but that's what Peter got to do that. Peter was the only one to walk on water that I know of. That's what it says in the Bible. Not only did he walk on the water, but he walked on the water twice. On the way there, then he sunk. Then he called out to Jesus. Jesus lifted him up, and he walked all the way back. It doesn't say how far, but he walked twice on the water. It's pretty amazing, right? This is the Peter that we're talking about in 1 Peter. 1 Peter is, is amazing when you talk about our suffering, talk about how great God is, talk about everything we need in life, this is coming from this Peter. God is using this Peter, the one that has done all these things, to talk to us. I don't know about you, but that comforts me because it shows how human Peter really was. Peter wasn't necessarily perfect. He got some things right, but he didn't get everything right. And yet God says to be encouraged through First Peter. So it, it is great to know all of these things about Peter because it really sheds to light when God tells us something in 1 Peter. We know that Peter lived it. We know that it changed Peter. All the hard things changed Peter. All the good things changed Peter. Every aspect of Peter's life with Jesus changed Peter. And that should tell you something as we look through 1 Peter. The date of the, there's some important facts about the date that help us look at 1 Peter. Why 1 Peter is so important. It was written in A.D. 64 through 65, somewhere around there. And you know, anybody know what significant thing happened during that time? You guys ever remember the burning of Rome? And you know why 1 Peter is called the, you know, how to survive suffering? It's because guess who was being blamed for the burning of Rome? Christians. Doesn't that sound like today, Christians, your, your faith in the Lord or, or your walk with God or being a Christian, uh, if you haven't lived until you know, they start blaming you for everything wrong because you're a Christian. That, but that's what was going on during this time. So it gives a new meaning when, when, you know, when uh, he says to, to, that you can live victoriously through your suffering well, yeah, they were under immense persecution to the point where Nero was actually burning them alive. It's probably why Rome burnt down, right? I mean, Christians were human torches. And another thing is we know Peter wrote this. Peter dies in A.D. 67, 66, 67, right in that time frame. 
He dies by being crucified upside down. By the way, do you remember Peter arguing with Jesus about how he was going to die? After the resurrection, Jesus is talking about how John is going to live this long and fruitful life, you know, or he's talking to Peter about how Peter's going to die this horrific death. And Peter goes, well, what about that guy over there? And he was talking about John. But it, because Peter knew he was going to die a horrific death. And yet that's the Peter who's writing 1 Peter. The key, I mean, the, the, the idea of, of all that the church is facing during this time is so important. By the way, it's, it's it, archaeologically and traditionally in church, in churches all through that area, the, uh, it's known that Peter started churches all the way from northern Rome all the way up to Britain. They found evidence of that. And, and so this, I mean, this whole area, this is who Peter is talking to. And that goes to our audience. Our audience is believers. So the author's Peter. It was written during an intense and emotional Really, time of suffering for church and for Christians. And the audience is believers. I mean, look at this. In verse 1, it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in all of these areas, basically in Asia Minor. In this huge area, they know that there was at least eight churches at the time, maybe more. And all of these places, to the, verse 2, the elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. The audience is a group of believers, which is amazing is because we know if you read Acts, that Peter, he was going to the Jews to spread the gospel, the good news that Jesus died to take their place, because we all earn death, but Jesus took your place on the cross, and Jesus is the Messiah, and he's preaching to the Jews but now Peter is speaking to all of these Gentile believers. Not just Jewish believers, but a lot of Gentile believers. And we know that by what he says in 1 Peter 1.18 and 2.10 and 4.3. He describes the believers. He talks about them as Gentiles, that they used to make sacrifices like the Gentiles. They used to do all these things like the Gentiles. And so it's very interesting. But these believers, but I want you to see how these believers are described. And this is important for us to realize. And we'll look at it late in, at the very end in the conclusion, why this is so important. And that is, he first he calls them pilgrims. Um, what does the NASB say there? And uh, elect exiles. Yeah, pilgrims. By the way, pilgrims isn't like what we think of, you know, uh, they landed at Plymouth. Uh, and the pilgrims that landed upon it's not some part of uh, history that they, they had Thanksgiving and they ate this huge feast. And, but, you know, we, that's not the pilgrims we're talking about. We're talking about people who have been exiled. Those who reside as aliens, right? And if you want to talk about that, you can talk to Miguel and he'll tell you all about the whole problems with aliens and not the UFO kind, but, you know, everything else. Because he, he, he has, I love to listen to him talk about his work. And I love to hear about immigration and all this stuff. And it's very interesting. There's so much information that we don't consider. 
But listen to what God calls the believer. A pilgrim and, uh, and those who reside as aliens. Those who are settled down, literally in the Greek it's saying, those who have settled down alongside of unbelievers. That's what it's talking about. That's who we're described by. Those that have been placed that don't belong. They're foreign. They're alien. They don't really belong. But you know what's amazing is to think about that's the way God describes us. But how much time do we spend trying to be comfortable with those around us? I'm not talking about, you know, at church. I'm talking about our community, our world our neighbors, how much do we focus on being comfortable to be like them or to be accepted by them? Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't love them. I'm not saying you shouldn't serve them. But God calls us an alien, a pilgrim, those who are not necessarily comfortable, those who not necessarily have things in common. We don't. As believers, as people who have been chosen by God, who have been saved, we have been pulled out of this life of death and given a new life with Him. We have a new life. And yet, this should help us to think about, I wonder why I struggle so much in my relationship with God. Why doesn't the Bible make sense? Why don't, why don't I see God the way I should? Maybe we are more comfortable with our surroundings than we are with God. And I, and I don't say that to be mean. I say that to just be, to, to think about. Because that's the way God is describing us as these aliens that reside in a foreign land. But he also talks about this dispersion. The, the, the dispersion. Those who were sown throughout. Did you know that dispersion or uh, that word literally means to be sown? It's like planting. He's saying, believers who've been planted, well, the question should be then, who did the planting? God did. Why did God send you into an uncomfortable place to live and reside? And like, Lord, take me now. This world I am planted in is horrible, right? It has back pain. It has toe fungus. It has earwax. It has bloody noses, it has stubbed toes, you name it, man. It has falling out hair, it has all these weird problems. It's like, Lord, why did you plant me here? Why didn't you, like, give me, like, you know, the perfect Greek, you know, atlas body? Why didn't you sculpt me, like, you know, why didn't you plant me somewhere else? And God's, but the idea is, is God has sown us. And you should ask, well, Why? Do you ever stop to think that God has planted you where you are so that way you would produce a certain kind of fruit there to be different and so that the culture around you react to where he planted you? The dispersion, he's basically telling the churches in 1 Peter, he's saying, look, it's God who planted you all throughout the region so that way you will cause growth and a difference in the churches. So the pilgrim, the dispersion, and uh, lastly, the elect. And it's amazing is, is this is something that just people cringe 
when they hear about the elect or the chosen and they hear about Calvinism or they hear about some theological system. I don't want to talk about a theological system. I want to talk about what is God saying. I don't want us to shy away from it. In fact, this is one of the things that doesn't scare me. Talking more about myself and as a, as a, and preaching on myself is worse than anything. <laughs> and then preaching about, you know, you have to give. That's always, you know, kind of uncomfortable. But this is not that bad. The reality is pretty amazing. When God says the elect, um, and in the New King James, it's in verse 2, but actually in the New American Standard and in the ESV and other translations, it's actually a part of the dispersion. So those that have been chosen to be thrown out and sown as seed, as believers, the chosen, literally means to be selected out of. Selected out of what? Out of the world as those who are saved. The elect. It's it's important for us to understand that is so important for the rest of the Bible. And it's so rich for us here. And this is what I, what I would call the forgotten piece of theology. Ephesians 1.4 talks about that. We've been predestined. We've been chosen. Uh, Ephesians 2 says that we were dead, but God made us alive. God, in fact, he uses the same word, ek- ekklesia or ekla, that to be called out or to be made alive. And it's amazing what God is saying there. The issue really is, is we're uncomfortable with talking about being chosen by God because of pride. We really like to be a part of things. We don't like it to be all about God, but this teaching, election, this doctrine, or this, that's what doctrine means, by the way, teaching, this theology, this this truth about God is important because it deals with our pride. That it means that our salvation, this gift that God has given us, is not about us. If it was about us, we couldn't be saved. Do you get that? Because we are just, we're sinners, we're tainted, we're horrible. But the Lamb of God, the perfect Lamb of God, died for us to take our place And he chose to do that. He elected. He called us out of death to give us life. And it deals with our pride. And that's what sin is, by the way. It's choosing that our way is better than God's way. And there's there's nothing really magical or hard about this verse or this thought of election other than it sometimes the other problem is, is people say, well, that's not fair. You know, God chose some and God didn't choose others. The real question is, is is there really anything fair? That word is not allowed in our house. If you hear any of my kids say, Dad, he said the F word. It's not the one you're thinking of. It's fair. If you say the word fair in our house, like I'm and you use it in context of fairness, then then the person that hears it gets to take something away. Uh, Because there is nothing fair. We deserve death. Christ did not deserve to die. God didn't... That is the only thing that's unfair. But God chose to do that. We couldn't do that. We cannot save ourselves. And that's the idea is, is, 
in, in this section in 1 Peter 1 is the most concise passage of Scripture that deals actually with this idea of election. Not how Peter begins the letter, um, but it's because he knows that the truth about election will strengthen our hearts during suffering. That God chose us, that God loved us enough that he would die for us and choose to make us alive that we are not going to be forgotten. That we're not, you know, just what we experience right now is just short term. Because God wouldn't choose to save me if he didn't have a plan. And that's all that election is dealing with, is our pride and getting it out of the way so we can look to God and say that I don't deserve this, but God chose to save me. This Greek word describes, in fact, well, how was it used during the Greek time? How was it used in everyday Greek life? Did the, did the apostles change it? Did the disciples change it? No. Let me encourage you to think about this. You know, the, the Greek way of using it was, it was a chosen or choice fruit. It was to say somebody, eklo, or they, they, they elected when they went through and looked and they said, I'm going to use, I'm going to just, I'm going to pick this fruit and I'm going to eat it. Now for us, I, you know, I learned this. It's not always, you know, you go and you pick the fruit off of one of my trees. You might not get the best fruit. You just don't know what you're going to get. Until, and if you're smart, you use a knife and cut it open and make sure you know what you're getting, right? So fresh, unsprayed apple trees might have a worm, Right? And you don't want to eat the worm. There's nothing worse than knowing you've eaten the worm and didn't taste it and wondering what's going to happen later on. Uh, am I going to get sick? Is it going to wiggle? You know, ah. But guess who picked the fruit? This word is saying that God picked the fruit. We know that our salvation is secure. We know that it's not going to be eaten from the inside out. We know that truly our salvation isn't rotten. C.H. Spurgeon said this. He was asked one time. He says, he says Spurgeon, great you know, Baptist preacher, and uh, everybody loves Spurgeon, says, how do you reconcile God's election and man's free will? And this is how he replied. I never have to reconcile friends. And uh, let me put it this way. This is how I put it for a lot of years, and I realized I didn't make it up. After I read a, a book from the 1940s, I found the exact same wording. I put it this way. It's, it's like a perfect marriage. Election is dealing with our pride, and free will is dealing with our responsibility to respond when God calls and says, you need to be saved. We have a responsibility. We have to respond. There are two. It's a perfect marriage. How does it work? God didn't tell us that. He just says, this is the way it is. He chose and we have to respond according to that call. We, have a, we do. But the, the call, the response that we give doesn't save us. He saved us, which is very interesting. It's like a perfect marriage. A perfect marriage isn't because, uh, you know, it's not because you guys like each other all the time. Okay? Are you taking notes, uh, engagees? Right? A perfect marriage never works because it's like, it's never because you're exactly the same. It's never because you exactly understand each other. A perfect marriage is because you obey God. 
He is the focal point. It's a perfect marriage. One dealing with pride, one dealing with our responsibility. In fact, I call it the forgotten doctrine because even Webster, an original Webster dictionary says this. In, in 1828, uh, you know, pretty much most people knew this back then. So Webster said this um, when he writes about election. In theology, divine choice a predetermination of God by which persons are distinguished as objects of mercy, become subjects of grace, are, are sanctified, and prepared for heaven. That's how he defines election. That's pretty amazing. We've just forgotten it. We've forgotten how important and how encouraging that is. Because I am so glad I am not saved by all of m- me, what I can do. I mean, I'm always tripping over something, you know. I'm always forgetting something. Just ask our janitor, you know. I, I lose my coffee cup just about every other day here. And praise the Lord, she cleans about every other day because I find my coffee cup clean and back on my desk. It's wonderful. I, it has this life to my coffee cup. I don't know. But I know it's my janitor. She's amazing. So <laughs> I call her my personal janitor because she takes care of my coffee cup. But here's the thing. This is what God is telling us in 1 Peter. This is what this verse is telling us. All of that knowledge and all of that ranting and raving about election and who we are because of this. This is what God is telling us here. Our position is according to God's plan. I hope that encourages you. Because how many times do we say, man, how in the world did I get here? Or better yet, what in the world did I just do? How many times have you said, did I just make the wrong decision? And you're probably asking that of the pastor sometimes, <laughs> but, <laughs> since I'm new. But our position is according to God's plan. That's what he's saying. By the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not according to our power. It's according to God's power and the Holy Spirit. And the provision of Jesus Christ. Did you read verse 2? The election according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. First part of the Trinity. In the, in the sanctification of the Spirit. Second part of the Trinity. For the obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. The third part of the Trinity. And these first two verses are some of the greatest theological premises that we need to understand. It's pretty amazing. Because it unlocks the reason why we can deal with the main points of 1 Peter. And that is, don't forget the grace that we have from the Lord. We have something so amazing that we don't deserve. We have a treasure that far exceeds anything. You could give up everything in this world and what we've been graciously given through Jesus Christ will far outweigh it. I could own the whole world, lose the whole world, and I could still have far more greater because of Christ. That's what these first two verses are really leading up to is to show us because of our position in Christ, We don't forget what has been given to you. The second one is, is 
that we are victorious despite hostility and suffering. It doesn't matter, guys, what is happening to you. It doesn't matter how hard it is. And if anybody says, just come to Jesus and it'll get all better, call him a liar. Because it doesn't get easier. You know, God is not finished with us yet. But we're not victorious. The cool thing is, is what we read in verses 1 and 2 about our position in Christ. We're not victorious because of me. We're not, be, you know, praise the Lord, I'm not, in, I'm not victorious in life because of those around me. I'm victorious because of Christ. Isn't that great? That is, guys, that's what's really incredible, is what we really have. So now I want you to think about, in, as you apply this premise and these things to your life, these implications, these two main things. I, I love what 1 Peter 5.12 says. It says this. By Silvanus, which, by the way, Silvanus is another word for Silas. You know, he uh, went with Peter on the missionary journey. He says, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Don't give up. Stand firm. Stand firm. The same word that a Roman soldier would use to not give up any ground. Don't let your circumstances of your life push you over. Stand firm in the grace that you've been given. So here's the conclusion. I'm just going to read it all to you. Because of 1 Peter, what he's saying in 1 Peter, what we've been given, we don't have to lose hope. Our hope is greater. Don't lose hope. We have hope. We're just temporary aliens. We don't belong here. We belong in heaven with the Lord, and one day he'll take us back there. We don't have to be bitter, by the way, about the life that we have. Because we are here in this place by God. It says, was it, my, my notes is wrong. <laughs> Did it get it right up there? It says, uh, but we are here in this place, and it says, pay God's design. No, by God's design. Misspelling there. By God's design. Don't become bitter about life. Don't lose hope and don't become bitter. It's always sad when I meet Christians and say, yeah, I used to go to church, but man, the church hurt me. And you missed what church is all about. You missed the greatest blessing, your relationship with God. Your, by the way, your relationship with God creates healthy relationships with God's people. It's not the other way around. Healthy relationships with God's people does not create a healthy relationship with God. Relationships with people usually create unhealthy problems, no matter how good we are. But we don't have to be bitter because we are in the place that we're at by God's design. We have to trust the Lord. Proverbs 3, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. We have to trust the Lord. Stand firm in the grace that you've been given. 
And then lastly, we need to remember he is coming back. Jesus is coming back, guys. This is not the end. You know, you know what I'm talking about when you have to read a book and you're tired of wading through this long descriptive story and like I don't don't give me any more details. I don't want to know all the little silly things about how they're cooking this meal or doing this or this long road trip in this story. I want to know what happens in the end. Well, guys, Jesus is coming back. When God chose to save you, it wasn't, it's not complete. That's why the promise of Philippians 1.6 is so amazing that he who began a good work in you will continue to perform it until the day of Christ. What does that mean, until the day of Christ? The day of Christ was the signal of Christ's return. When he comes back, we will have our salvation completed and we will see Christ as he is, as he truly is in all his glory, and we will have glorified bodies with him for the rest of eternity, worshiping God, free from pain and death. We need to remember that this moment of circumstances in our life, although it is hard and it hurts and it is now in your life, is just temporary. But Christ is coming back. Right? This, it, it's going to pass. Whatever you're going through, it's like a horrible gallstone. If you've ever had one, it's miserable. It's painful. It's like giving birth, I hear. I don't know. I don't, I've seen my wife give birth. I don't know if a gallstone's quite that bad. <laughs> but I, 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 it hurts. Our lives hurt. They do. But I'm telling you, God is coming back. Are you looking forward to that? Or are you just focusing on your circumstances? Don't be short-sighted. There's so much wealth of applications in this conclusion. Pick one. Work on it this week. Pick two. Work on it for two weeks. Pick all of them and work on them for the rest of your life. Guys, may God encourage you what he has done for you, really, truly give you life not the circumstances we live in. First Peter is going to be awesome, guys. I look forward to it. It's going to hopefully stretch us, remind us, retool us, refocus us, and challenge us. Every encouragement to me is a challenge. It's like, ow, that hurt. But praise the Lord, that means he's not done with me. Right? Because if it's not hurting, that probably means I'm dead. Think about that. If you're not hurting, you're probably dead. <laughs> if life doesn't hurt, that means you don't feel. And if you're not feeling, then you're probably under the dirt somewhere. <laughs> right? Maybe you don't even have a relationship with God. You just know about God. You know he's good. But why is he good? Because he conquered death for you. He restored. You're no longer an enemy of God. And you have peace with God. Because he died on the cross. He took your death that you deserved. He nailed it to the cross and gave us the ultimate gift, his life, that we might have life eternal. Have you confessed that? Have you come to Christ? Are you living in the position 
that we've described this morning. If you can't, if you have a hard time answering some of those, I pray that you maybe you would listen to the Holy Spirit and say, well, I need to be saved from my sin and come to Christ. Give him your life, your life this morning and he will give you his life that pays for your sin. Lord, I just thank you so much for our, our time this morning in your word. I pray that we would rejoice and be glad that we would say that today is the day that I don't have to be discouraged, that it is well with my soul because I have you. Lord, may the river of life flow out of us, the life that has been given to us. May the, the, the water that we desperately need to drink from, the life blood of Jesus Christ, his life that was offered to us. Lord, may that be our position. May that be our joy. May that be our longing is to rejoice and to be glad in what you've done for us. May we never forget that. May we put the armor on that we might be able to stand against the evil one who seeks to devour us. Thank you, Lord, that you are our shield and our defender. You are our strength. You are our help and ever-present, always ever-present in our greatest time of need. You never leave us nor forsake us. May we realize what we truly have and may we realize what we truly deserve, that life truly is not fair. But Lord, you loved us. Not to say we, that you like us, but that you loved us by dying and paying for the death that we deserve. And Lord, we thank you for that great gift. And may your spirit encourage every one of our hearts and speak to what we need to do today in applying these verses to our life. In Jesus' name we pray.